every Monday to Friday. This is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Money Talk. Good morning and a warm welcome to Money Talk for a brand new week. It's Monday the 26th of June. This is Peter Lewis and let me thank you for making this podcast one of the most listened to financial podcasts in Hong Kong. This podcast is sponsored by Surfing Group, which is headquartered in Singapore and offers online financial services to 30 million customers across 10 countries. In today's business and finance headlines, an important gauge of Japan's consumer prices rose at its fastest pace in 42 years in May, providing a test for the Bank of Japan as inflation proves stickier than expected. The so-called core-core consumer price index, which strips out energy and food prices, but includes alcoholic beverages, rose at a higher than expected annual rate of 4.3%. That's the fastest year-on-year increase since June 1981. The Eurozone economy has slowed sharply in recent weeks, according to a closely watched business survey, that indicated a period of recent growth in the services sector is stalling. The Flash Eurozone Composite Purchasing Managers Index, which is a measure of activity in manufacturing and services, fell to 50.3, the weakest reading since January. A three-day state visit to the US by Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi came to an end Friday with a meeting with tech company leaders as the Biden administration aims to diversify supply chains away from China. The guests at a state banquet that President Biden hosted for Mr Modi included Sundar Pichai, the Indian-born chief executive of Google, and Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple. And following the event, Apple's Tim Cook described India as a huge opportunity. Global stocks fell on Friday, capping their worst week since March, as investors in the US and Europe fretted over the prospect of further interest rate increases and a potential recession. The FTSE World Index, which tracks the largest companies globally, slid 1%, bringing its weekly fall to 2.2%, its worst performance since the US regional banking crisis began in March with the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. On today's programme, I'm joined by Alex Wong, Director at Alex KY Wong Asset Management and Hong Kong-based macro strategist Patrick Bennett. With a view from mainland China is Yan'an Wu, the Chairman and CEO of Surfing Group. And if you want to get in touch, please go to my website, peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. On Wall Street Friday, all three major indices posted losses for the week, ending eight straight weeks of gains for the Nasdaq and a five-week streak of gains for the S&P 500, as investors pointed to economic data that showed the global economy is cooling. Several central banks raised interest rates last week, and Fed Chairman Jerome Powell told lawmakers that the central bank's inflation-fighting campaign isn't over. The S&P 500 suffered its worst week since March, sliding 0.8% to 4,348, taking its losses for the week to 1.4%. The Dow fell 219 points, or 0.7%, to 33,727, ending a three-week positive run with a loss of 1.7%. The Nasdaq Composite closed lower by 1.1% to end at 13,493. It dropped 1.4% over the week. And the CBOE Volatility Index, the VIX, fell to 13.44. That's the lowest since January 2020. 
U.S. Treasuries rallied following the woeful EU PMI data, which flagged recessionary concerns. The yield on the benchmark 10-year notes fell six basis points to 3.74%, and the yield curve between two-year and 10-year Treasuries inverted to minus 101 basis points last week. The U.S. dollar index rallied strongly on the week, notching its second-best week since February with a gain of 0.6%. The Japanese yen hit a fresh year-to-date low of 143.68 against the dollar, a loss of 1.3% over the week. And crude oil prices saw heavy weekly losses. Brent crude oil fell 0.4% Friday to $73.85 a barrel. For the week, it's down 3.6%, its biggest weekly drop since early May. Hong Kong's Hang Seng Index slid 1.7% Friday, leading losses in the region. The index closed 328 points lower at 18,890. For the week, it was down 5.7%, the biggest weekly loss in three months. The tech index sank 2.1% for the day and 8.4% for the week. Futures markets are pointing to a lower start for the Hang Seng this morning with a loss of around 140 points. That's 0.7%. And you can get more details on the latest market movements in my daily newsletter at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Let's welcome our Monday morning guests. We have with us Alex Wong, Director at Alex K.Y. Wong Asset Management. Morning to you, Alex. Hey, morning, Peter. And also joining us, Hong Kong-based macro strategist, Patrick Bennett. Morning, Patrick. Good morning, Peter. Well, as we have two market experts with us this morning, let's talk uh, markets for, for the rest of this morning. The global picture first, as you heard there, the FTSE All World Index slid 1%. That brings its weekly fall now to 2.2%, its worst performance since the U.S. regional banking crisis. Um, Alex and Patrick, um, this week... It's the end of the first half, so presumably we're going to start seeing some portfolio rotation as funds position now for the second half of the year. What should um, investors be looking at as we move into the second half? Well, look, I think it's uh, well. The first half has obviously been very difficult. Um, I think the main or one of the key things for that investors have not grasped uh, particularly well is the uh, is the notion that interest rates globally are, are, are going up. Uh, have gone up and are likely to continue to to remain high, uh, and so this uh, this looking for uh, you know defensive positions I think will you know will continue, and I say defensive perhaps into uh, you know utilities as uh, people start to spend less because they have less uh, less disposable income, and I think that will be a, a theme which uh, develops more in the in the second half of the year. The bond markets seem to be getting to grips with that notion now, don't they? Because at the beginning of the year, they were pricing in rate cuts at the end of this year. But the bond markets, maybe uh, bond investors are, are coming to terms with this. But do you think equity investors are? I think the bond market is getting to grips with it. Uh, you know, the inversion is uh, is probably still quite extreme uh, you know, at these levels, uh, although not looking likely to uh, to reverse any time soon. Yeah, I don't think invest. I don't think the equity investors have uh, have got quite to grips with the uh, with the higher interest rate um, environment and the fact that it's going to be sustainable. Uh, for, for for me, I think that for in the first half, uh, the uh, major theme of the equity markets is the uh, the rise of AI. So we are seeing a renewed interest in the um, growth sectors, especially those uh, mega techs. So I think uh, we probably may still um, see this theme to play out, but uh, sectors may may not benefit. 
uh, from the rise of AI, actually, I think it would be under pressure because uh, the fear of uh, sustained uh, high interest rate environment and also recessions actually would uh, pressure those stocks. So we probably will continue to see polarized uh, market performance and, and also we probably may see very narrow-based uh, strength in the markets. So are you saying that that's uh, this quarter, second quarter rally that we've seen in AI, can this continue much further? I can think it would continue, actually. I think a few counters actually may still outperform. So uh, at least uh, they, they probably would be more uh, resilient than others. So um, we probably may still see uh, strength in several counters and sub- probably supporting the, the, the U.S. index. And that probably uh, would outperform other markets. If we look at the U.S. markets, do you worry now about the valuations? I mean, if you look at the S&P 500, it's trading now 19 times um, forward um, 12-month earnings. That's quite a way above average. The NASDAQ 100, which is up, what a third this year, that's trading at 27 times now forward earnings. Is this getting to extreme levels where we ought to be prepared at some point in the second half for a big drawdown? I think uh, we may see some drawdown, especially in several sectors. But uh, overall market, I think, may not be too bad because, as I've said, probably mega techs would still be supported. And probably people would not care about too much on the short-term earnings on those mega techs because uh, people probably would uh, like the sector dominance of uh, those companies. So I think uh, we probably would still see overpriced mega techs. But uh, other sectors actually may, may correct, I think, because uh, they probably will not benefit too much on, on in the new year. And also um, the high interest rate environment would be, uh, would be stick, sticky. So I think uh, we may see devaluation of uh, the old economy sectors in the U.S. Patrick, do you, do you worry about these valuations in the U.S.? Look, I think they are quite steep uh, or quite rich at these levels. Uh, I think that's due to the fact that there is that, you know, despite interest rates having gone up, there has been to date still quite a, quite a bit of liquidity uh, in the global economy. Uh, a lot of people's mortgages are being reset perhaps this year, mm-hmm. uh, haven't been yet, you know, although, we, although they appreciate that interest rates have gone higher. So I do fear that uh, you know, with this withdrawal of liquidity, which is going to continue with uh, less disposable income, that uh, you know, validating uh, validating these prices, I, I think, is going to become more more difficult. Uh, I don't have a fear for the market overall. I, I think that we will you know, continue to be perhaps flat to slightly weaker. I don't think we're you know at uh, at risk of a precipitous decline, because I do believe that central banks, even though they are determined to uh, to beat inflation conclusively. You know their bottom line. Their, their bottom line remedy, you know, is not to raise rates uh, so you know to such mm. extreme levels. If indeed we were to you know to head into a uh, you know precipitous decline. And do you think this AI rally can continue? Well, I think it's a, it's you know, it, it's a new it's a new kid on the block. Um, you know, people who are rotating out of uh, other sectors that they haven't had uh, you know the same success in of lately. I think that there's still uh, there's still an amount of momentum uh, you know in the sector which. Uh, yeah, which means it, it probably does. Uh, it probably does okay. Alex, what what could cloud the outlook here, um, sort of going uh, forward? We saw those flash um, PMIs from the eurozone, which were pretty bad, weren't they? They, they suggest that the, the eurozone economy not only is it suffering from high and higher interest rates, it, it, it could almost be in recession by now. Oh, yeah, I think uh, probably people are expecting recessions. Actually, we have been talking about recessions uh, for. From, from a probably time. a long time, yeah. <laughs> so we are finally seeing this, and and probably every sections would mean uh, peak interest rate as well. So I think uh, people have priced in a lot, and so the correction pressure may not be too much. And I think uh, 
probably um, some markets would 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 would, would underperform a lot uh, because uh, of the lack of participation in the new AI era. Mm. Mm. And and do you think um, that actually we could end up with stagflation in some places where actually not only does the, these interest rate rises push the economies into um, recession, but actually inflation, it seems to be remaining quite sticky, doesn't it? Core inflation anyway. Yeah, but I think uh, probably we may see China to export deflation uh, later on. So uh, the, the, the risk of uh, a very long stagflation scenario may not may not may not be in place i think because uh probably we have, we have already seen 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 commodity prices coming down and and china actually is a pretty weak in in its performance and probably mm. we it will ease the global inflationary pressure patrick do you worry about stagflation is this a risk Look, I think it's a risk on a you know sort of one or two quarter basis, but I would agree with Alex. I don't think it's going to be uh, don't think it's going to be sustained. Um, sort of back to a point earlier, I think that global central banks now, if we look back at previous episodes of stagflation, you know, historical uh, you know episodes, then uh, you know we didn't have the same uh, activism, perhaps if that's the right word, of of, of central banks. Mm. Uh, so I believe that they wouldn't let that situation. Uh, I wouldn't let that situation persist. Well, what do you make of the Bank for International Settlements, what they said over the weekend in their annual report? I mean, they were basically saying um, that fiscal policy also needs to step up to the plate. In other words, um, governments should be raising taxes. They should be cutting back on spending so that all the, all the work isn't just done by, by interest rates. What, what do you make of that? Yeah, well, look, you know, they never they never really come out and, and give the uh, you know the, the, the morally uh, you know fantastic story for, for what the, for what these uh, governments uh, should do. I, I more take the view that I think when the uh, when the private sector stops spending and when they will you know stop or slow spending you know, because of high interest rates, it's uh, it's incumbent on the the public sector to actually uh, to provide some support. Mm. I do believe that you know, fiscal and monetary policy should work you know, in greater. Uh, tandem, uh, but I'm not convinced that they should be out there now, uh, you know, withdrawing support, uh, you know, at this stage. What do you make of it, Alex? They were basically saying that, you know, all this stimulus that we've had, it just basically um, allows for reckless borrowing by private companies, and now there's a huge amount of debt that's got to be unwound. I think, uh, yeah, but uh, I don't think uh, the the government will withdraw. I think uh, the reality is that I think they will continue that that kind of fiscal policy. So Mm. I don't think uh, that will happen. So so there's no more to discuss, I think. But some of this debt is in, you've mentioned this before, Alex, commercial real estates, that that could be a problem for the second half because that's where there is a lot of debt, isn't there? And um, and a change in the way in which people are working means there's not that demand anymore. Is is this going to be a a growing concern in the second half? Yeah, that will be a growing concern because uh, I think uh, this sector basically is gone, I think. And the prices actually have to correct, and probably we may see those uh, come uh, those those borrowers are in trouble. So I think that is a point of, con- uh, of concern. So uh, probably may track down other things as well. Patrick, what do you make of the China markets? If, if we look at uh, the mainland and here in Hong Kong, it, it, despite the policy easing that we've seen on the mainland with the, the cuts now in all the major benchmark interest rates and the People's Bank of China, the market just hasn't been able to put up any sort of sustained rally year to date, has it? And, and it's the global underperformer. Look, that's right. Uh, you know, we've spoken about it before. You know, the, what's actually happening now, the easing has not been particularly surprising because the, uh, the outlook had been... Uh, have been you know, particularly soft, uh, you know, heading into these quarters, and that the emergence from uh, you know, from from the COVID zero or COVID policies was not going to be the uh, you know the, the 
uh, the, the boat that you know the um, you know to lift all, all all sectors. And I think the issue now, though, is that we don't have high global demand, or we have pressured global demand. So even though China is uh, is trying to provide some stimulus to provide a, a backstop, a, a support for domestic activity. Uh, the external sector is still very weak, and we're seeing that through the trade numbers as well. So, mm-hmm. in comparison you know, to what we saw perhaps post 2008, 2009, you know, global demand was still it was buoyant because we didn't have the same level of interest rates. We in fact had you know, liquidity being eased, and that's the you know the very important swing variable that we're not getting right now. If, if we look at valuations, Alex, in, in China, you, yeah. you were saying the US were on the one hand they're stretched, but you think they could remain there. Is it almost the reverse in China, where it's actually they're very cheap? The MSCI China is yeah. trading about ten times earnings, but could it stay there as well? Maybe it's just going to remain cheap. I think it will remain cheap because uh, China probably is the market which is least favorable to the AI firm because I think uh, the constraint of uh, chips technology probably would, would still uh, be there for quite some years, and then the Technology will accelerate runs very fast. So uh, you can imagine in five years' time, probably China would lag behind a lot uh, in the AI, uh, in the AI film. So um, that wh- that's why we are making uh, we are we are so low in valuation. And also, I think uh, other structural problems in the economy, like the property sector and also the youth unemployment, uh, are still a concern for investors. So I think uh, uh, the valuation will still remain low, and people probably. Would rather pay for pay a premium for those uh, high growth uh, 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 companies in in other parts of the world. I think the the, the global equity markets have been divided into the east and the west, and and the and, and the east actually is um, suffering because of the lack of uh, AI uh, AI concept. When when I hear you talk, Alex, about the markets, so much seems to depend upon AI. That really yep. seems to be the driving theme that almost dictates now whether you should be in certain markets or not. Yeah, because this is uh, the the largest things uh, since the internet, I think. So mm. uh, and also uh, this is uh, in in the every aspect of your daily life. So I think uh, people probably would would rather look into five to ten years horizon and pay a premium on those companies which will survive in the new environment. So that's why I think uh, China probably will underperform for quite some time. Mm. Actually, I think uh, 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 un- unless I think the Chinese government let people perceive uh, the private sector would be the dominant force again or try uh, or the u.s problem would release uh, will lift uh, some constraint on the chip export otherwise i think china would continue to be cheap but there's no sign of either of those two things happening at the moment that two things actually are diff- very difficult to happen so if one thing happened i think uh, probably we will see a we will shift rarely of uh, 10 to 15 percent uh, but I don't think that that will happen. Okay. Um, Patrick, what, what are your thoughts? Are you tempted by these valuations 10 times? And, you know, the bad news, is it all priced in now? Um, not tempted by the valuations, no. Look, I, I agree with Alex. I think, and, and one thing I see more particularly is I see the risk premium, uh, you know, is, has actually risen. So portfolio inflow to, you know, to China is, is not happening uh, mm-hmm. because people are concerned about the the stewardship people are concerned about the you know the track of the economy so i think it remains cheap and remains cheap on a relative value on a relative value basis uh yeah for some time until some of these issues are resolved and uh, yeah, perhaps we need to wait until the um you know the presidential election next year to get some clarity and, and what about stimulus people have been hoping for some stimulus from china apart from these interest rate cuts which have been fairly inconsequential no sign really of any other form of stimulus coming at the moment is there no, not really, uh, and a little bit surprising how the markets reacted to that last week. You know, previously, when we've had you know, signs of stimulus or interest rate cuts or 
you know, additions to to the economy, uh, you know, that has lifted, you know, that has lifted all, you know, all ships in the harbour, and you know, we're not seeing that. So I think that um, people are perhaps uh, you know were very cautious on the idea that the you know the marginal value you know of this uh, you know of these new projects or new stimulus is you know is just not there there's one form of stimulus going on though that maybe the PBOD, PBOC didn't deliberately intend but the weak you are that's that's acting as a form of stimulus isn't it it's its lowest level now against the dollar since november could that help maybe sort of support export demand and provide some sort of stimulus to china I think it helps. Uh, certainly, uh, we need to remember that the dollar has been strong as well. Mm. Uh, there is a wide di- interest rate differential between the dollar and the, and the yuan. Uh, yeah, I think, and as uh, Alex uh, pointed out earlier, you know, potentially China will be you know, exporting some deflation uh, later in the year, but that, that will rely on, uh, on global demand uh, picking up. So I, I see the yuan remaining uh, as an underperformer uh, you know, in, the, in the near to medium term. For me, I think uh, the weak one, uh, maybe actually would be bad for the equities market in Hong Kong because uh, people uh, probably would, uh, would would see the um, devaluation of certain utility sectors in in, in, in Hong Kong because the UMB cash flow actually would be cheaper. So uh, that, I think, uh, would pressure those uh, SOEs uh, companies in Hong Kong. So mm. uh, that is bad. But uh, for the economy, I think uh, this is okay because uh, it would uh, help to boost uh, the export. But uh, the point is, uh, uh, the, 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 the customers actually are um, trying to diversify their, their, their sourcing base already. So uh, probably um, they are already facing uh, uh, competitions from places like India, Vietnam. I think uh, that problem will not change. So the help may not be too much. Well, let, let's turn to India. Now, Mark Mobius is the veteran sort of emerging market fund manager. He says India is the best place right now to park $1 million. He said, although he's still invested in China, he thinks India, the numbers in India tell a better story. He says the population is larger and younger. Its economy is growing faster than China's. He's not deterred by the uh, the Hindenburg report that targeted the Adani um, group company because he said there's so many excellent companies in India and he plans to boost his fund's holdings in India from 15% to around 20 or 25%. Um, if we look at the performance, uh, India's NSE Nifty 50 rose to all-time highs last week. The gauge is up 7.5% this quarter. Stocks in India, they've attracted an 8.8.7 $8. billion US dollars in foreign inflows in March. That's the most in any quarter uh, since the end of 2020. Also, rupee-denominated bonds um, are seeing huge amounts of overseas funds um, as well. So tell me a bit about India, um, Alex. What are, what are your thoughts, first of all, on, on that? Well, for me, I am not too familiar with the market, but I think uh, the story is easy to tell. Like you said, uh, the, the population is young and, and is growing, and also it would benefit from the manufacturing sectors and also the IT sector as well. So I think uh, this is uh, a very easy uh, story to tell to the world. And the in- index actually performed quite bad, uh, quite good uh, over the last few years. So um, I think uh, infos would, would still uh, remain. Uh, and, and I think uh, the Hindenburg report actually just dampened the bullishness. But uh, the, the impact actually has been gone now. So uh, probably we may continue to see um, the, the Indian market to perform well. And does it fit in with the AI theme as well? Yeah, I think that because um, India actually has uh, has been a very polarized um, uh, society, so um, and they are quite advanced in a certain techs and and also medicine. So I think uh, that probably uh, would, uh, would 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 benefit from the new AI theme. 
Patrick, what are your thoughts on India? Is this a market we should be paying more attention to? Yeah, look, I agree. It's, a, it's an easy, well, it's a simple story to tell. Um, it was a good story to tell 10 years ago. It was a good story to tell 20 years ago. Uh, mm. you know, so there's been a, a few false starts there. Uh, without doubt, um, you know the currency we used to trade around in the 30s, and now got to the in the 70s. You know, so certainly it's become it's become cheaper. Uh, I believe that it's it's doing well now uh, for these you know, for these clear reasons, uh, and I think there's, again the story is uh, you know is easily uh, out there, uh, and perhaps likely to continue to to outperform while the rest of the globe uh, you know is facing challenges. I think in a in a period where the globe is uh, you know is, is going more strongly, then I think India doesn't do quite so well but I think in a, in a period now where people are searching around for uh, for better yield and better returns and better prospects I think India does certainly offer that. Does it benefit from this sort of newly found or newly strengthened relationship with the US we had Narendra Modi visiting Washington uh, last week is, is there going to be some benefits from that? I, look I think so I think so in terms of um, you know, investor sentiment um, you know, the ideas around you know the Chindia idea some time ago you know was 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 found to be you know not appropriate uh, you know China competing you know directly with India is not quite appropriate uh, either they you know the different uh, different types of economies um, but certainly as you know as people are less encouraged or, or discouraged to invest in, in China they you know they do tend to you know to group the country somewhat together and uh, and India uh, it, you know will Indian markets Indian markets will, uh, will will gain some advantage from that we're seeing quite a lot of tech investment there now, aren't we? Apple's announced mm. more investment. Google, we've got uh, Elon Musk saying he wants to invest in India as soon as possible. It seems that, you know, global tech firms are waking up to, uh, to, to India. Yeah, because there's a populous uh, nation and also the, the, te- the young people actually are well-educated. So I think uh, that's why uh, the tech companies actually found them quite suitable for uh, investing. And also the, the local market, I think, uh, would be attractive because um, probably we may see upgrades because uh, recently we have quite good news uh, from India. They, they have placed a very huge order for Airbus uh, mm. just recently. So um, I think uh, the domestic uh, market also will pick up and we probably may see Apple to try to grab some market share from Xiaomi. So I think uh, uh, we probably may continue to see interest from those uh, mega techs. One final market I wanted to ask you both about, Japan. Uh, For the second quarter so far, the Nikkei 225 is Asia's best-performing market. It's up 17% on the quarter year-to-date. It's up 25.6%. The last time the Nikkei traded at those levels was back in July 1990. Seems to be the real deal this time, doesn't it? There's been a few false starts in uh, in Japan over, over the years, over the decades, in fact. But this looks to be real now, doesn't it? Yeah, look, absolutely real. Uh, you know, the economy is doing well. The, the numbers that we see out of the economy, you know, persistently uh, or consistently rather, uh, are beating expectations and and doing and doing well. The Bank of Japan has not yet had to start raising interest rates, so that's allowed the economy to to breathe uh, as well. Uh, that advantage or that, that advantage or that spread has uh, has manifested obviously in a weaker yen against uh, other major currencies. But it has also, um, you know, underpinned earning, underpinned uh, domestic earnings of, uh, you know, of those of those companies. And uh, yeah, the Nikkei doing well. And I, again, I expect that to continue, um, you know, while the rest of the globe, uh, you know, is facing some challenges. And I think, you know, Japan looks to continue outperforming, notwithstanding, I think the yen will continue to remain weak. And it, and it looks like it's discovered uh, shareholder value as well, doesn't it? There's much more corporate activism going on now. At long last, yes. I think uh, yeah. I think Japan will continue to perform, but uh, the the 
The market actually is quite volatile. So last week we have seen a 1,000 point retreat in the decade in one day uh, after the CPI report. Mm-hmm. So probably we may continue to see that market to be that volatile. But I think uh, it would go up in a volatile sex, uh, fraction. Uh, this is not like the U.S. market. Actually, U.S. market is steadily up. But I think the Japan market actually would be quite volatile because uh, I think uh, people conviction is less. Probably they need some time to build up the conviction. And also the yen actually is a, a psychological factor to affect the market because uh, uh, we probably may see the uh, market to correlate a lot with the uh, forex in, in this market. So uh, people people would be uh, a bit concerned as the yen is also already approaching 150 psychological mm. level. So probably we may see uh, the market to remain quite volatile because of this. So uh, just be careful about that. I find, I think uh, uh, one point to, is that uh, people will need to be careful about those Japanese companies which are doing a business in, in China. So uh, in the past, I think uh, people are using them as proxy to play the um, consumer market in China because they probably would be better uh, than those uh, local companies. Uh, but I think uh, Chinese actually are now... Um, less favorable for those Japanese brands. So probably uh, we may see underperformance in those companies which rely more on the Chinese market. And is the Bank of Japan, is that going to be a big factor in the second half? They they, they sort of indicate in Governor Ueda that they're going to stick uh, with yield curve control, but then you get this inflation number, core, core inflation, 4.3%, the highest since 1981. Yeah, that's why we, are, we, have, we, we have seen a one retreat on, on Friday mm. because uh, that kind of concern would always be there. So I think uh, that is uh, uh, would would be the potential uh, bearish factor, but but the under uh, but other bullish factors actually would remain because as you said, the better co- government, uh, corporate government performance, strong buyback from companies, and also the um, emergence of a uh, Japanese company in the global market. It's just we have seen more more and more Japanese uh, animes and also uh, movies and on on Netflix these days, and and I think uh, that would help. Patrick, final thoughts from you. The Bank of Japan, I mean, they're, they're, they've got a big part to play in this rally, haven't they? Is it sustainable for them to stick with ultra-low negative interest rates for much longer? No, not for much longer. I think that they will uh, move back from that in the uh, in the next couple of quarters. I don't think it's going to be uh, immediate. Uh, I think the yen can... Uh, you know, can regain some ground on that basis, but I think if you look at buying in at uh, at these levels, or it continues to be weak, and investing in the uh, in in the stock market, I think you're still going to outperform. Well, thank you both very much for your thoughts. You heard there, Patrick Bennett, Hong Kong-based macro strategist, and Alex Wong, who is the director of Alex K Y Wong Asset Management. <laughs> I'm joined now by Yan Wu, who is the chairman and CEO of Surfing Group, which is headquartered in Singapore. Good morning, Yan Good morning, Peter. How are you this morning? I'm very well, thank you. We're talking markets um, this morning. Let me ask you your thoughts on what really is the poor performance of Chinese stocks, both this quarter um, and year to date. Why is it that they're such a global underperformer? Yes, uh, indeed. Uh, the ch- Chinese uh, market, along with the you know mainland and also Hong Kong market, uh, both uh, show very disappointing performance so far this year. And uh, if you, especially when you consider the global uh, capital market, uh, the uh, Nikkei index from Japan has uh, you know made the new high since 1990s. Even you know uh, Nasdaq, given the uh, U- U.S. rate. 
Fed uh, hiking in the background, they still make a 20% return so far, more than 20% this year. And uh, both uh, UK, Fiji, Fiji and uh, uh, France, CAC also uh, made the new highs. Uh, you know, of course, India, you covered the topic uh, uh, last few days and also uh, push the new highs. Even the market capitalization of India has also surpassed the uh, UK and uh, uh, France market capitalization, uh, you know, become the fourth largest global market uh, capitalization in the world. Uh, you know, if it's uh, even uh, Russia and uh, Ukraine, the stock market has made about 10 to 20% positive returns so far this year. So really, uh, Chinese market is uh, compared to the rest of the world, you know, whether it's developed market and developed market, both, uh, uh, you know, very suppressed, uh, to say. I think there are mainly the three reasons, three, uh, you know, driving force that made uh, uh, both mainland Hong Kong market uh, below expectation. It's really uh, threefold uh, below expectation. One is the economic, the macroeconomic in Chinese uh, uh, mainland economy so far as a poor, uh, is below expectation. Secondary, this, the, uh, policy expectation. The policy, the, uh, whether it's fiscal or monetary policy, uh, the, uh, the shows uh, less, uh, uh, support for the capital market. And thirdly, is the market sentiment, uh, the below expectation, especially look at the currency, the RMB. You know, just over the, uh, you know, Dragon Festival weekend so far has also, uh, you know, uh, the offshore CNH versus U.S. dollar has uh, surpassed 7.2, uh, you know, this very critical level. So both, uh, all three uh, factors, uh, economic, uh, policy and uh, uh, sentiment, uh, all shows uh, weaker expectation in Chinese, China market. Do you, do you think any of those factors could improve in the second half of the year, whether it be um, the economic factors or, you know, we get a, an improvement in the economic performance, maybe we get an improvement in the global performance? Any of those things could improve enough to really sort of cause a rebound in Chinese markets? Yeah, of course. Uh, I think the, we all, as the market participants, uh, all expect so. Uh, uh, I think uh, it's really uh, depend on when's the turning point, uh, and also where, where's the catalyst, you know, for uh, for turning around the, this uh, threefold expectation to more positive support for the market. You know, when you look at the economic side, uh, the uh, the PMI numbers as we discussed before in our broadcast, uh, it's uh, you know both uh, shows, uh, you know, uh, the main number shows a very Weaker performance, uh, when it is manufacturing or non-manufacturing PMI, or showing a uh, slowing down. So the recovery speed or slope, uh, if you will, is uh, weaker than the market expected. Expected. So both uh, shows uh, from producer side and consumer side is contracted. So that we have to wait until. Uh, the PMI numbers uh, shows more positive trend, and that will take in one quarter, probably you know at least one to two quarters, to show PMI really turning around. So I think the second quarter will be challenging, uh, you know, for for uh, for the market performance. So I think we still have to wait until the end of third quarter, or even uh, the last. 
the the early first quarter see the economic number turn turn around. Secondly, the policy uh, uh, measures, uh, what the uh, we can see the all the bank rates have been reduced, whether it's LPR, uh, or the deposit interest rates, or you know uh, start to uh, compress and decrease. Uh, so that's a positive sign, but it's still below the market expectation, especially consider the fiscal stimulus is not ready yet. I think given the uh, local government vehicle debt levels and also uh, the uh, the fiscal uh, level already reached a certain, uh, you know, the 3% limit. So I think fiscal stimulus still have to uh, show more uh, active uh, support uh, to the economic turnaround. So we have to wait until the political bureau meeting in July. Uh, so hopefully next month in political bureau meeting, we can see some more positive signs of po- policy stimulus uh, coming up. And certainly, of course, the sentiment, the RMB right now, given the geopolitical tension, even after put Billiken, you know, uh, uh, the Secretary of State Billiken visited Beijing. Uh, so the RMB still, uh, you know, depreci- depreciate uh, during the festival, uh, Dragon Balls Festival weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so, so that still shows a very weaker sentiment, uh, especially global uh, geopolitical tension uh, still worrisome uh, to the market. Investors have been waiting for stimulus, fiscal stimulus now for for quite a while, and they've been disappointed Mm -hmm. sort of time and again. They were hoping the other week that the state council was going to announce something, but they didn't come up with any new policies. Why is it that um, the authorities are so reluctant um, now to come up with fiscal stimulus? Is it that maybe they're not so concerned anymore about economic growth? They're more worried about trying to reform the economy? What's the reason? Yes, uh, of course. I think uh, the, uh, how many tools in the toolbox is uh, in, in the in the on the policy making side is uh, remain to be seen. Uh, as I just mentioned, the monetary policies probably cannot do too much now because it's fixed. Uh, it's a, it has a dilemma. You know, on one hand, uh, trying to reduce the rate to uh, push more money supply to the economy, but uh, uh, the, the last two years, the M two as uh, you know still maintain very high speed growth, you know, uh, 14 to 15 percent, uh, about 40 trillion in the last two or three years. So, but still hasn't showed the CPI or PPI, you know, turning positive uh, in, in so far. So monetary policy is really had a limited impact so far. Uh, the, the, the real capital money doesn't go to the real economy is the concern. And uh, for when you look at the consumer side, uh, you know, the June 18 is the e-commerce uh, festival and the GMV for the uh, merchandise, uh, you know, co- consumption is uh, only increased 5.4%. And, uh, you know, compared to last year. So really the consumer is not are not ready yet. They are more cautious to spend and consume. Uh, the May first Golden Week is also testing. Uh, the actually the average uh, per tourist uh, you know spending is only about uh, eighty five to ninety percent compared to pre COVID level. So although uh, more, more mobilization after uh, relaxing the COVID policy, but the spending pattern hasn't uh, reached yet so uh, so i think uh, the consumer side also uh, is still wait to be seen so st- stimulus 
uh, is really have to wait until the all the expectation can be changed. Uh, but uh, so far, the uh, really the the RMB is worrisome. You know, the whether how much uh, the depression uh, can the central government accept. Uh, is also a dilemma. Uh, for the f- fiscal side, you know the 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 debt raised by local government funding vehicles has already soared to sixty six trillion yuan, which is about half of China's uh, annual GDP. Uh, so, so really, the debt level uh, is also a constraint for fiscal, uh, uh, you know, even for the fiscal sub uh, stimulus. Uh, so, all these are, are constraints for policy. Uh, stimulus. And, and obviously all concerns for investors. One of the biggest groups of investors that have been selling heavily are foreign investors, and they've really been yep. bailing out of Hong Kong and mainland stocks. I'm wondering, is that partly because now there is alternatives to, to China? You mentioned India, which is now uh, one of the largest markets in the world. Japan, of course, is now performing as well. Uh, and maybe other markets like India, like Japan in Southeast Asia, markets like Indonesia, are they sucking money out of Japan and, and foreign investors are seeing other opportunities now that they didn't have maybe a year ago? Yes, uh, really the money flow globally is has a mixed uh, signal. You know, Japan has recently attracted, uh, you know, large inv- institutional investors like Warren Buffett and other, you know, institutions from the United States. Uh, so I think the uh, uh, Japan showing a more inflationary uh, you know, sign than the deflation, uh, you know, uh, that uh, continued trend for the last 20 years. So, so that uh, shows a positive sign for, uh, the global institutional investors. And, uh, so for, for both mainland Chinese market and Hong Kong market, uh, you know, it's really, uh, it's job attention that uh, force the, some institutions are very uh, cautious to re-enter the market. Uh, if you look at the, uh, the, uh, uh, the liquidity of Asia market, uh, for the last uh, three months, the last quarter, it's really, uh, so far the AI concept and also the SOE, you know, Chinese, uh, Curtis, uh, uh, valuation concept, uh, has sucked in the liquidity a lot. And the rest of the 78% of uh, non-AI technology and non-Chinese Curtis uh, uh, valuation concept stocks has really uh, only uh, uh, has decreased half of liquidity compared to last year. So I think the the, the structure of Chinese Asia market is also uh, is a bit uh, uh, too, uh, twisted, uh, given the liquidity in the in the in the flow. So so I think uh, the globally uh, we have to see. Uh, you know, institutions show more, uh, uh, you know, more uh, confidence uh, with the market uh, uh, sentiment change. Uh, so, so that uh, has to show from the both economic and policy, and also uh, sentiment side to change. Yeah, and it's always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much for joining me this morning.
Thank you, Peter. Let's talk to Yanan Wu, who is the chairman and CEO of Surfing Group. Thank you for listening to Money Talk this morning. You can find more details about some of the topics I've been talking about today, along with information on other headlines and market moves on my daily newsletter. Take a look at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. I'll be back with another show tomorrow. Joining me then will be Asian fund management industry consultant Stuart Aldcroft, Mark Toe, who is managing director of asset management at Wing Fung Financial Group, and our US economics correspondent, writer and broadcaster, Barry Wood. Bye for now. Money Talk.